The scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Ephroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is God's word. Speed of God. Uh, pop quiz, hot shots. Uh, there was a, a phrase in October that uh, took Twitter by storm. It was the number one trending phrase. It was a generational phrase. Uh, what was it? Okay, oh, say it again, Dylan. Okay, okay, boomer. Uh, who in here would uh, be described as the baby boomer generation? Anybody uh, say it proud? There you go, Gary. We're not scared. Uh, well, I'm Gen X, actually. But, uh, uh, which, by the way, we're the apathetic guys. You know, I might be Gen X, I might not. Who cares? Um, okay, boomer. So this is uh, essentially a way, let's say you're talking to someone, a Gen X like me or a millennial like my... Uh, not my children. Gosh, I'm getting old. Like uh, maybe some of you guys are a Gen Z, like my children, and you make a good point and you're encouraging them. And then at the end, they go, okay, boomer. As in, uh, you, what can you tell me? Uh, you can't understand what it's like to be a, a millennial, a, a Generation Z person. You've got nothing that you can share with me. Okay, boomer. Uh, and by the way, I am so pleased that that died out, uh, and if you ever hear anybody say that in this church, well, I don't know what to do, rebuke them or something, I don't know, I, you know, when I was a teenager, I said all kinds of dumb stuff, um, but what you see in scripture is that is antithetical to the life that God calls us to. Uh, if anything, Christians are separated because we look at the older generation and we say, this gray hair is a crown of glory. You have so... <laughs> Did I hear an amen there? Yeah. Hey, we're Presbyterian. Uh, this is a crown of glory. Thank you, Jesus, for brothers and sisters who have come before me, who have walked through the minefield of life and are willing to go, hey, I've got a map and I can show you how to avoid some of these mines. Uh, you don't believe me? I've got the scars to prove it. So let me come alongside you. The worst thing we can say is, 
Okay, boomer. That is the height of arrogance, the height of what God calls us not to do. And so this morning, we are going to talk about two people that Paul was discipling uh, as an older believer coming alongside them. But first, a little context. When you read the book of Philippians, uh, you are reading someone else's mail. Uh, you ever wondered, hey, what's that letter there? That's what the, these epistles are. It's a letter that Paul sent to uh, the church at Philippi. And in the middle of it, uh, it starts with exhortation and theology. Uh, that's, the, that's the meaty stuff. That's the good stuff. Then you get this reference letter. Uh, anybody ever filled out a reference letter for somebody else? Uh, by the way, if you ever want one, let me do it. I always give you high marks. Um, and then it ends with exhortation and theology. So what we're at now is the reference letter. Paul is, is saying, hey, let me commend Timothy and Epaphroditus to you. Um, and he lists their qualifications here. It's good stuff. And when I was preparing the sermon, uh, I, I was kind of given this maybe six weeks ago. Boy, I was worried. Because the passage we're looking at isn't so much theological as it is descriptive. And I was going, man, uh, I, I get nervous around uh, sermons that say, hey, imitate, imitate, do, do this, do this, do this. Because is doctrine and theology uh, not essential to who we are? But then it occurred to me, and maybe it's occurred to you, praise God for the people who live out what they believe. Have you not had people in your life who look and, and you go, ah, when I think of the gospel, I think of that guy. I think of that woman. They live out. They don't just nod yes and say, uh, I agree that all these things are good. And then uh, the song says, live like hell because you're going to heaven. Uh, they don't do that. They actually say, hey, I'm going to practice what I preach. And brothers and sisters, that can be a, a rare thing in a church. Uh, even in our day and age. And so Paul looks at Timothy and Epaphroditus and says, hey, I want to hold these guys up of, as examples of the theology that I've been preaching, uh, but also they're living it out. And here's what it looks like. And so we don't have uh, these pictures in Scripture of what Jesus looked like. Uh, if you ever, we, we know he had a body and he still continues to have a body. If you were to go up to Jesus, you could... Uh, were you so inclined, pull on his beard? Uh, I, I assume he has a beard. I don't know if there's razors at the right hand of God where he's sitting. But um, we know that he has a, a, a fingernails and skin. and just like. But we don't have any physical descriptions because that's not the point. But what we do have, and you'll see this when we talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus, are pictures of Jesus nonetheless, but they're reflected in you and me. We are called, in fact, to be pictures of Jesus. In fact, the term Christian literally means little Christ. So there's Gary, but he's also a little Christ. And I may not know what Christ looks like exactly, but I can see Tommy and I can see Lisa. And I can see Christ reflected in him. And hopefully more and more and more as time goes on. So this morning, uh, yes, we're talking about Timothy, we're talking about Epaphroditus, uh, but we're also talking about pictures of Christ. And this is important. Uh, when I was saved uh, at 17, uh, God radically invaded my life, and I knew three things about the Christian faith um, from the get-go. Number one, and I, I, could, I still can't get over this sometimes, I knew God forgave me of my sins through Jesus Christ. And I just, that was immaculate, because man, I was a sinner. At the same time, 
the next thing, if somebody had said, what does it mean to be a Christian? I would have said, well, don't cuss. Um, because that was kind of what it was portrayed as uh, now we're going to be good. And the third thing was uh, save yourself sexually until marriage. Those are the three things that I knew. Uh, don't cuss, don't chew, don't run around with girls who do. Um, that summed up everything that I knew about faith. Now, when, I'm, when you're 17, that's kind of cute and funny. But if you're 41, and I am, and that's still the, the all you know about our faith, you go, well, gosh, there's a lot more to it. Well, where do we learn more about that? First of all, from Scripture, but second of all, from other brothers and sisters who are further along than us. Paul even said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, we're little Christs. So um, while we may not have these physical descriptions, I did want to read something. I thought you'd get a kick out of this. Um, this is from the apocryphal book, so it's not inspired. It's not authoritative. May not be true. Maybe. Maybe not. Probably not. But maybe. Uh, a description of Paul. Very quickly, if any of you are thinking of describing me to someone, uh, well, listen to this. Uh, Paul, according to this author, was a man small in size, a little short guy, uh, bald-headed, bandy-legged, uh, that's bow-legged, with eyebrows meeting. Okay, uh, rather long-nosed, full of grace, for sometimes he seemed like a man, and sometimes he had the face of an angel. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, again, Apocrypha, we don't know. Uh, maybe true, probably not. Uh, but here's the point. As though we are lacking these physical descriptions, we still can be pictures of Jesus to one another. So having said that, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a double-edged sword. And we ask you now to come uh, and change our lives through the preaching, through the hearing of your word. Uh, would you bring sinners like me to repentance um, and faith in you? And we pray that now uh, you would not leave us uh, as we are, but change us through your word. And it's through Christ that I pray this. Amen. So as I said earlier, uh, this letter is full of exhortations. Uh, as Kevin preached last week, uh, Paul instructed the church at Philippi, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Uh, hold firmly to the word of life. In verse 17, uh, Paul says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. So what did Paul see his call as a follower of Christ? Just to be emptied out continually. For uh, I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, and I am glad. Uh, boy, isn't that contrary to, to public pop psychology and public opinion? Uh, instead of clinging to his time, his rights, his everything, hey, I will be a shell of a man for the gospel, and it will give me rejoicing, true joy. Um, better than Candy Crush, better than my iPhone. In fact, I, I've heard people say... Uh, Correctly, I think entertainment is the cheap substitute for true joy. So Paul says, do you know where true joy comes? It's not from staring at YouTube. Uh, it's from pouring my life out for the bride of Christ. Uh, and so, in doing so, for Christ himself. Uh, so scripture affirms over and over again, by the way, because when you do that, you're following the example of Christ. Right? Christ poured out his life. He even says communion. Hey, this is poured it out for you. Now you go and do likewise. And so in our passage this morning, we get to Philippians 2, uh, beginning at night, verse 19. Paul begins with, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so as Paul is even looking at the future, uh, the only thing you and I know about the future is that God's already there. 
period. There's nothing else that I could tell you definitively about the future except that God has promised his presence with those of you who love him. On this earth, in heaven, same thing. I'm going to be with you. So as, as Paul looks at the future, he always runs his plans by Jesus. He always submits them to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, is it wrong to have dreams? Is it wrong to have hopes? Is it wrong to have goals? No. But write them in pencil and remember that they're under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because sometimes God looks at our wonderful little plans and goes, no, I've got something better for you. And it won't feel better, but it is. So I've heard what you said and that's sort of, uh, we talk sometimes about prayer requests, and we say, well, it's an unanswered prayer. Well, sometimes God just says no, uh, and praise God for that. So Paul looks, and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the master, by the way, Lord means master, right? Uh, I'm under his authority. I hope to send Timothy. Now, who was Timothy? Uh, it's good to remember Timothy, if you read the book of 1 Timothy, uh, was a product of a marriage between a Christian and a non-believer, uh, which is uh, sinful, right? Christians are, are called to marry other believers, and yet we see that uh, this believer married a non-believer. His dad was a Greek, and so basically his dad, um, boy, this is sad but common, had nothing to do with his spiritual formation, uh, a spiritually absent father. So who took Timothy under his wing? Well, it was his grandmother and his mom. So praise God for you, those of you who are married, uh, perhaps to non-believers. God can use that. God has changed the world through Timothy. If you read 2 Corinthians and several other books, it says Paul and Timothy. We always say Paul wrote that. No, it's Paul and Timothy wrote these books together. So would I advise getting married to a non-believer? Of course not. But can God use that? God redeems these situations. And there's Timothy as an example of that. So uh, he's the product of a marriage uh, between a Christian and a non-believer, discipled by his mother and his grandmother. Uh, for those of you who are single moms, take courage. Uh, look at Timothy. Uh, and God takes these situations and uses it for his glory. So he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Paul is already saying, I love you guys. In fact, in chapter 1, uh, he said, I thank God every time I remember you. I long for you with all the affection of Christ. Do you feel that way about Stonebridge? Or have you ever been a part of a church where just every time you remembered him, you're going, oh, that place was such a blessing. Is Big Bill, Mississippi, uh, Big Bill, are you here yet, brother? Are you come to the second service? Okay, he's not here. Um, we're going to talk about him behind his back. But it's good. It's okay. It's not gossip. Uh, so Bill is moving to Mississippi, and this guy has been uh, such a blessing to us in our ministry. He comes in, sharpens pencils, puts crayons up because uh, he works at night. He's moving to Mississippi, and he said, uh, boy, you know, the thing that concerns me, I'm excited about going back to Oxford because I'll be close to my family, but the thing that concerns me is I don't know where I'm going to go to church. Uh, there's somebody, he goes, I'm so thankful for Stonebridge. Uh, where am I going to find a place that's like that? And I, I think, you know, praise God. And I'm not saying that to, to toot our own horn, saying a church family is a big deal. If you're sending your kids to a college where there's no good churches, that's a big deal. If you're moving to a town for more money, but there's no good churches, rethink it. Because finding a good, gospel-believing, gospel-practicing church is worth missing out on a little more money. 
It's worth missing out on your kid's dream college. Uh, hey, look at the churches in there because that's going to be the primary voice speaking into your children or your lives for at least the next few years. So think about it. Most people never even consider that. Uh, so Paul says, man, I thank God every time I remember you. I long for you with all the affection of Christ. But remember this too. Paul was under house arrest, so he likely would have been chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, and so certainly uh, Paul and uh, whoever the soldier were weren't about to make a trip. He was uh, uh, under arrest. And so he looked and he said, okay, so who do I know that I've poured into that loves Christ? Who can I look? Uh, and obviously, the answer was, out of everybody, Timothy. What set Timothy apart? We're going to talk about that now in verse 20. Paul says, I have no one else like him. There's no one else like this guy. Even amongst Christians who were the disciples of Paul, no one else was the single-minded servant of Christ the way Timothy was. Even amongst Christians. And I... I, I if you remember, Jesus was uh, calling people to follow him, and one guy said, uh, yeah, I will, Jesus. I'm really serious about it, oh, but I, oh, man, I got to go bury my dad. Sorry, I would have. Oh, bad timing. You know, maybe next time. Uh, another man came up, and Jesus said, hey, follow me, and he said, oh, I would, but I, I just got this money, uh, and Jesus said, well, give it away, and he said, well, the accountants and the tax shelters and the, uh, boy, it's going to take so long full of excuses not to follow Christ. So Timothy is the exception to the rule. Out of everybody, Timothy is the only one who says, I'm following Christ unabashedly. I'll do whatever it takes because I want to be with Jesus. So Paul says, I have no one else like him. Uh, and as much as I hate to say it, uh, capital T, capital C, the church has always been uh, a place where you have, unfortunately, uh, the Jesus namers and the Jesus knowers. And what I mean by that is if you are raised in the South uh, and have common sense, when you're talking to somebody, you're going to say you're a Christian because that's just what we do, right? You go up North uh, and you go, Hey, Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior, your King. They'll say, get out of here, man. I, I can't stand Jesus and I can't stand you. And it's kind of cool because you go, I know where you stand, uh, and I'll pray for you. Here, hey, you a Christian? Yeah, I've been to church once. Uh, that skews polls a lot of times, too. When you read these statistics that say 50% uh, of Christians, 80% of Christians, yeah, maybe true, but remember, they're lumping Christians in with, I go to church twice a year, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, just bear that in mind. But that's always been the case with the church. We've always had more Jesus namers than we did Jesus Knowers, people who truly know Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 7, uh, and this is to show you what Timothy was not. In Matthew 7, Jesus, uh, verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Hey, they're naming him. I know all the words. I've memorized catechisms. Uh, I know exactly what I should be saying. Are you a Christian? Yes, that is the answer. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. People who say, Lord, Lord, go to hell. Not, but only the one who does the will of my Father. So what does faith bring about in us? Well, it doesn't bring about a nod of the head and then you continue to do whatever you want to. It brings about actions. Faith expresses itself in our works. So you'll be saved? No. No. Because you're saved. 
Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I'm naming it. I'm saying the name. And in your name, did we not drive out demons? And in your name, Jesus' namers perform many miracles. But then Jesus says, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. Timothy was not nearly a Jesus namer. He didn't speak the language of Christianese. He put his faith into practice and so became a little Christ. So when Paul's going, oh, who could I send? Uh, 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 he's going, Timothy. That's the first guy that comes to mind. Uh, and don't you have those people in mind where you're like, man, when I talk to this guy, when I talk to this girl, it's like I'm talking to Jesus. They're so saturated with the scripture. They're so in love with him that when I talk to him, I just go away feeling like, man, I've just encountered something of Christ there. And if you don't know those people, maybe you're one of those people. And if you don't know them and you're not one of them, then pray. Father, uh, and John says, I must decrease so that he can increase. Uh, don't you want to be like that? I do. Uh, so what it, Paul goes on to say, so I have no one else like Timothy. And what sets Timothy apart? He shows genuine concern for your welfare. Does anybody know where the word genuine uh, has its roots? Genealogy, Philemon Guinness, or Genesis. Where's Nathaniel Levinson? He knows all these things. Uh, does anybody have any idea where the word genuine comes from? Uh, it's okay. There's no wrong answers. I'm just kidding. Uh, the right answer is family. I have no one else that will show a family uh, familiar type relationship for you that has that kind of affection. Uh, let me tell you this. Uh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. My phone rings. Uh, I pick it up. It's my daughter. She says, Dad, I'm across town. Can you come get me? First thing, without a doubt, I'm out of bed. I'm getting on my shoes, throwing on my pajama pants. Baby, I'll be back in half an hour. I got to go get her, uh, whoever it is. That, why? Because that's my daughter. We're related. Paul says, Timothy feels that way about you. You, need, you call him at 2 o'clock in the morning, he'll be right there. Uh, maybe we'll talk about how we got here later, but the first thing is, I am here for you. And so you become a little Christ, because is that not what Christ does for you? Every time you close your eyes and you say, Father in heaven, Jesus, uh, your, God says, what? What is it? I'm listening right now. You have his full attention, and so we get to model that for other, other people. Then Paul goes on in verse 21. For everyone, and other believers even, looks out for their own interests. Finding a truly sold-out follower of Jesus Christ is a beautiful and rare thing even in the church. Even in the church. Uh, everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. So initially, when you look at this, you're going, Timothy went to Philippi, uh, was sent to Philippi because he was a people person. He, uh, Paul looked and said, he loves those Philippians, and so let me just send him there because he loves those Philippians. But then Paul pulls a fast one on us because what he says is, well, actually, it is that he loves the Philippian church, but it's out of his love for Jesus Christ. Everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ except Timothy. So the more you love Jesus Christ, what's the necessary outflow of that? Love others. You show me someone with a large, warm heart towards the gospel, who's striving to follow hard after Christ, and I'll show you somebody who loves people. Conversely, 
You show me somebody with a cold, unteachable heart towards Christ, and I'll show you somebody who probably doesn't have a lot of patience for other people. Love for Christ always leads to a love for other people. Uh, by the way, that doesn't mean you're all extroverts. It doesn't mean we're suddenly uh, uh, a different person, but it does mean we love him in the way that we're able to love. And God increases that uh, as we grow up uh, in our faith. And so, uh, Timothy says, so you know, verse 22, but you know that Timothy, unlike everybody else, searching after their own interest, even Paul said he was a drink offering just being poured out, um, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Um, very quickly, genuine faith will always bear fruit. Certainly, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never, ever alone. Uh, there are fruits, love and joy and peace and patience, and all the things that are listed in Galatians 5 begin to bear in our lives as we're yielded to the vine of Christ. Uh, again, not so we'll be saved, but because we are saved. Uh, and he says this, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So what does that say about the relationship between parents and children? Where does discipleship start? In the home. It's parent to child. You saw this with Timothy's mom and his grandmother. Parents, uh, you've got two wonderful tools at your disposal that you're called to use with your children. Number one, you have the tool of teaching. You know more than they do. You read your Bible more. You pray more. So you have the chance. And I'm not talking about Jesus loves me, this I know. In some way, we never get beyond uh, these basic things of our faith. But in other ways, we're called to mature, to grow up. So you have the power of teaching with your words. Number two, you have at your disposal the tool of modeling. The tool of modeling what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman. This is what Paul's talking about. He was like a son and I was like his father in the faith. So that means they get to see you read their Bible. And they go, oh, I guess a Christian reads his Bible. They get to hear you pray. They get to see the way you talk about your spouse. And go, I guess this is what a Christian does. And the third of the two things is parents, you also get to repent when you mess it up. Uh, and they get to see that too. That's part of modeling. Uh, the standards here... Boy, all have sinned and fall short, so they get to see us fall on our faces in front of Jesus Christ and say, I have sinned against heaven, and honey, I've sinned against you just now. I need you to forgive me, and I'm sorry. Uh, would you pray for me? Uh, gosh, guys, how many times uh, the Gregory's back there If I had to, sorry, I don't know. Would you pray for me? I'm, uh, I need Jesus. And, and they do. And by the way, when my kids pray for me, it's like the most honest prayers. They're like, Lord, would you help Daddy not to be so mean anymore? Amen. And I went, Yeah. That'll work. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I could go on, and I, I want to tell you, I, I'm, I'm trying to be cognizant of your time and honor your time, but what I would like to do now, uh, I'm going to break the rules a little bit. Um, if you're in here, uh, I want to give you some homework. Um, if you're in here this morning and you're saying, boy, I want an older brother in the faith, a father in the faith who can just say, hey, don't go here. Do this. Don't do what I did. Hey, let me, let's pray through this. Don't, if that's you, don't do anything. Just think about it. Is that you? Would you like to have a father in the faith or an older brother in the faith who you can just meet with and be honest with? Paul said we share our lives with you. Somebody you can share your life with. Don't do anything if that's you. Y'all ready to get awkward? If you would like to disciple somebody, if you're looking and you're like, you know, uh, I would love to have a hand 
Certainly a hand up and being discipled, but a hand back and disciple somebody else. I will be an older brother to somebody. I'll make the time for them. I will uh, meet with them for coffee. They can tell me anything, and I'm just going to point them to Jesus. Not judging, just point them to Jesus and praying through things. If you're willing to do that, and you're willing to be awkward for a minute, would you stand up? Thank you. Stay, stay standing if you would. Thank you, guys. Here's what I'd like for you to do. If you're one of the people who said, I want an older brother, an older sister in the faith to disciple me, here's your homework. Talk to these people. Look around. Give them a phone call. If you don't know their name, it'll be a little awkward. Hey, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but I've watched you from afar. And then say this. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Um, you guys can sit down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these brothers and sisters uh, who are willing to take the time. And even as Paul said, willing to say, I will be like a father. Uh, not that I've got all the answers figured out. Not that I'm sinless. But man, I, want to, I have a heart to see younger believers grow in their faith, grow in their relationship with their wives, grow in their relationship with their children. Father, I pray that people today who are hungry for that wouldn't leave without connecting with older brothers and sisters in their faith. Would you draw them together? Even now, I pray that you would lead them to one another. And now, Father, as we have the privilege of, of worshiping in sort of a weird way, of giving money, but that's an act of worship. We pray uh, that we would give selflessly. Uh, we pray that that would be one more way, as Paul said, of pouring ourselves out. And it's through our Lord, our Savior, and our King, even Jesus Christ, that we pray this. Amen.